Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box. I'm with some familiar faces here today. With us on this episode of the show, I'm with TriStar Strength and Rehab. I've got Zach Jackson over there, Josh Davis to my left. How you guys doing? Pretty good, man. How are hey, you? Y'all look like y'all just came from the gym, working out, you know, getting a pump in before the podcast. Yeah, Zach just well, does it with a polo. I was going to say, a little bit different style than Josh. <laughs> but it's stretchy, though. That way the pump kind of accommodates. You know? Before the show, they're doing some pull-ups, you know, just to, to make sure that they're ready to go. But uh, I really appreciate y'all hanging out with us today. Uh, the first episode we did, you can find that on the Outside the Box podcast, as well as the Performance Medicine uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we'll link that in the description below if you want to get to know these guys a little bit better. Um, but today's topic, I want to be really focused and it's something that I think, uh, hopefully will help a lot of people out there. We're going to talk about the myths around exercise and we're going to go over four to five of them and, uh, and kind of, you know, hopefully dispel some of them for the people watching or listening on the podcast. So Josh, let's start with, let's just go over the first myth that kind of comes to your mind. Uh, when you, when you hear like, uh, yes, a lot of people believe this to be true, but actually it's not. I think the one that comes to mind instantly is knees over toes mm-hmm. and how that's bad and you should never squat and have your knee go over your toes. And in PT school, that's something that's even harped on, you know, with us is, you know, always keep a vertical shin, you know, never allow that, you know, that tibia, your shin bone to travel forward. And I mean, that's just not the case. There's been a lot of research coming out now that the more range of motion you have, the better muscle activation you're going to have in your quad, hip flexors, all the above, um, and just a better training, you know, response that you're going to have. Because um, if you limit that range of motion, you're kind of putting all the bias towards your your hips, your posterior chain, um, and you're leaving a lot to be, you know, a lot left on the table for your quads. And that's something that you're going to have your motor control and your stability in your knees for any type of, you know, athletic endeavor that you're going to be doing or just getting up from a chair. I mean, try to, you know, stand up with your shins completely vertical. It's not going to look very pretty. Um, but, you know, with knees over toes guy, um, he's been like blowing up here lately on social media. Um, that's something that has been a little bit more so talked about and especially in, you know, kind of PT world and strength conditioning, which is where we're at. Um, we try to, you know, preach that, you know, you're not going to get knee bola, you know, if, 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 if your, you know, knee travels over your toe, so it's going to be okay. Everything's, you know, going to work out just fine. So, so in, in terms of protecting your knee, what are some things that people need to watch out for? Because I, I think a lot of times when people are working out, that is the one like thing they're trying not to do is they're trying not to let their knees go over their toes. You guys are saying, and I think there's plenty of evidence that support what you're saying around how full range of motion, knees over your toes is actually, it actually protects your knee. Um, what are some things that we do want to avoid to, in order to protect our knee? I think one of the big things is, you know, you'll see some people go into the gym, just gung-ho about it, wanting to start squatting, deadlifting, doing these exercises with inappropriate volume. So they might do too much, and then in a few weeks' time, they'll have tendonitis, and, and they'll look back at what they've done mm. and feel like, well, that exercise is what's caused it. Well, no, you weren't training appropriately. Too much volume too soon, exceeded t- tissue capacity. And, and that's how it can lead to injury. So what we'd want to do with people in that situation, we want to go knees over toes, but at the same time, we want to build it up an appropriate program. 
and maybe knees over toes to start out with might be a little bit aggravating. It could be mm. the quads are too weak, a deficit in the glutes somewhere here or there. So we could do more exercises, more uh, variations of a squat. For example, we could do a goblet squat with a dumbbell or kettlebell. That's going to keep the shin more vertical, kind of like what Josh mentioned earlier. And then as we start to get stronger, we can start progressing those exercises from a goblet squat to a front squat to a back squat where you're going to have a lot of knee over toe angle. So those are some of the things that we want to look at. Just make sure we're hitting all of our marks before we just send somebody out there to do some of these exercises. I like that. Just kind of progress towards the knees over toes mm-hmm. and the full range of motion. And this is, would this work for all joints? Like any sort of, uh, movement is that how we would describe it yeah for sure it, it, yeah. it's something that you know graded exposure is kind of what we want and if you do too much too soon like zach said at any joint it's going to probably flare up and it's going to be you know the the check engine light is going to kind of pop on and then that's whenever you kind of try to put your head down and drive through it that's whenever you're going to have some issues that's where we come in to kind of manage that load as i look into the camera um, <laughs> and you know like we come in to you know try to lead from the front and kind of guide everyone through that um, to get the best outcome possible, um, you know, whether that's decreasing pain, be able to get back to a sport or activity that you've not been able to do for a long time because of the knee pain, shoulder pain, whatever. Um, but yeah, full range of motion is always, always, always the goal. Full range of motion is the end goal. You progress your way towards it. Um, let's go to the second myth. What do you think, Zach? I think posture. You know, okay. a lot of people correlate uh, bad posture can result in increased risk for injury. While there, there could be a little bit of a risk, that's not inherently what's the issue. You'll have people that could deadlift four or 500 pounds. The spine's going to flex no matter what. You know, we, you cannot maintain a neutral spine the entire time throughout the lift. So, yes, if someone has a little bit of rounded back when they're pulling up, that's okay. Now, if, if it's really excessive and they keep doing that over time, eh, we might want to look at that and, and see maybe they've got a limitation at their ankle with dorsiflexion. Maybe they have a hip lim- uh, limitation with internal and external rotation. Um, and inherently throughout the day, a lot of people sitting at desk jobs, you know, rounded shoulders, typing on keyboards all day will contribute that to their back pain when in reality that's not the case they're just not strong enough to hold themselves up in the appropriate position um, i share the same belief that there's no really good posture or bad posture the next posture is the best posture um, so you really don't want to stay in the same posture too long you know you want to switch it up about every 30 minutes or so so if you're at a desk get up stretch move around and stuff that can help prevent some pain but also just getting in the gym and working out and just building up strength doesn't matter if it's in your back uh, your legs or your glutes those are one of the big things so what i'm hearing there is one you want to having a rounded back in a deadlift or in some sort of uh, uh I, I guess just a deadlift yeah like a lifting motion um is not necessarily a bad thing correct is there what are you trying to focus on when you're doing a deadlift if it's not because i've always actually when i'm doing a deadlift i've tried to get my you know chest up you know not necessarily a round, uh, a uh, flexion in my lower back, but just really a straight back. What, what are what are we after there? What? Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of that is the cueing. So chest up is a good cue, but typically is what we end up seeing with the chest up cue is we lead here, obviously with the chest, and when we do that, our kind of you know sternum is going to arch up, and then we over arch in the lower back. Mm. Then we fire up all those spinal erectors and they're just going to be tightened up under load and then in a bad position. And that's whenever some, you know, low back pain can start, especially if you're doing terrible volume, like Zach was talking about earlier, to where you're doing, say, deadlifts or squats 
with that form several times throughout the week and that can just add up and kind of put miles on that on that low back and those erectors so typically is what we like to say is start with a good brace so you want to try to fill up your belly with 360 degrees of air so it's not really like you know like that but you want to try to lock in your ribs we try to say tuck your lower ribs in your front pockets so that way you're okay. kind of bracing. I imagine Mike Tyson's going to punch you right in the stomach. Okay. It's because you won't be like all flabby when Tyson punches no, you. He's going to go, would, maybe go would through hurt. you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you want to make sure that, that your brace really, really good is what that's going to do. That's going to prevent that overarching. And then you can almost imagine, you know, almost driving your um, shoulder blades into your back pockets. So then you try to pull the bar into you if you're back squatting or vice versa. If you're trying to pull a bar from the floor, you're trying to like, you know, just squeeze as hard as you can in your upper back and keep everything as tight as possible. Now, as what Zach was saying with that little bit of flexion is that may happen if the load is just too much. Got it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it can happen, but the, the is what is bad is if that happens and you're in a poor position. So we try to train in that. So there's a, a lift now called the Jefferson Curl mm-hmm. that is huge right now on, on you know, kind of our realm and social media. And that's basically where you do a deadlift with a, on an elevated surface with the dumbbells in front of you, and you do a full-blown like flexion all the way down. So you tuck your chin, round your back first, your entire back just looks like a crane. Mm, okay. And then you reach as far down as you can to the floor. And you're and you're pulling from that position? Mm-hmm. Pulling yep. so, weight? So, yep. Yeah. So dumbbells in front of you. Now it's light. But the idea is that you let your lower back get used to that positioning. That way if you get in that position, which you will it. when it's heavy, yep. your body knows how to respond. Because yep. if not, then everything's going to lock up and you're going to be you know hurting for a while. So really the key here is the ability to be strong in any position so not being super uh dependent on like a perfectly straight back okay again kind of functional that's super fast wiggle room plus or minus on either side of that but you're not saying like having a round back is good or bad because i'm looking you guys both have good posture Mm -hmm. which you know like you know stand up straight that sort of thing you're still advocating for that but don't necessarily worry about that during a lift. There's other cues. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, for sure. Like Josh mentioned, you know, if, if you go by the proper cueing, like what he was talking about, mm. you know, engaging the lats, keeping that chest up 360 degrees of air throughout your entire core, more than likely that's going to prevent you from getting into those positions, uh, especially with lighter to moderate weight. Now, obviously, as you progress to weight, heavier weight, you might see a little bit of a difference. But like Josh said, said with the Jefferson curl, strengthening that back, you know, that neuromuscular connection, letting the body know, hey, it's okay to get in this position. Yep. Then you've got wiggle room on each side like Josh alluded to. I like that Jefferson curl. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. And then another thing, too, with that, talking about kind of low back pain and intra-abdominal pressure is using a belt. So a lot of people use that as like a crutch or they think like the, I was taught in high school that always put on a belt whenever you're about to lift heavy and that's okay. That's good, but it's not to help support and keep you upright. It's more so it should be a cue to push out into that belt and create that 360 degree pressure because ah. you can almost blow your thing about pushing your belly button out into the belt, not just trying to depend on it to do what your core is supposed to do Yeah, and support you upright. What do you guys, because uh, a lot of times they'll, um, there'll be exercise where you try to pull your belly button into your spine. Mm-hmm. What is that? That flattens out the lower back? Is that what that does? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I'll let you take the lead on that one. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just that's another cue, kind of what we are talking about with the chest up, mm-hmm. that we can use to kind of get our rectus abdominis, so those ab muscles engaged. And, you know, again, we kind of use tucking your, your ribs, your lower ribs in your front pockets, 
And then if you do a forceful exhale, then your rib, your uh, abs are going to automatically engage because they're muscles of expiration as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, that that's that's a good cue. It's a little bit harder whenever you're standing up for people to kind of comprehend that cue, but it's not bad. And that's that the whole thing with this, you know, entire you know the way that we preach and, and operate is no movement is bad, no cue is bad. There's always wiggle room, and mm. if it works for you, that's great. Just make it optimal for you. That's yeah. kind of where we Correct. come in to yeah. kind of. You know, dial that in. Nice, nice. All right, let's go to the. Is it? Are we at the third, third myth? Third. All right, what's the third myth? Um, I mean, the, the the one that I think about the most is that pain equals injury. So that like, you know, you get like I've mentioned earlier that mm. service engine soon light comes on. You're like, oh my gosh, I need to go get imaging. I have, you know, bulge disc. I am. I need <laughs> to shut down all movement, and then everybody just walks around like this and is terrified to move. Whereas, you know, the pain system in our, in our bodies is so, so complicated. I mean, they're still trying to, you know, people smarter than us are, are, you know, trying to figure that out as far as the pain signals that travel from your brain to the site where you're feeling it. Cause a lot of times we can get what's called referred pain, which means that the, it's not, it's not even where the injury is. Like, you know, you could be having some, you know, spinal issue up here that can refer down to your shoulder or something like that. Um, but the point in saying that is, is it's not your shoulder that's hurt. So it's okay to still move through those motions, but know what could provoke them. Um, you know, certain positions that you get in. So that's where we kind of come in to, you know, like we said, like Zach said earlier, he said it perfect. We can, you know, slowly introduce these motions in the appropriate way, ways with the appropriate load. That way it doesn't flare it up. Um, so basically, mm. you know, rest is not the answer, Correct. you know, yep. to, to these injuries. If anything, <laughs> you're gonna get stiffer, you know, you're gonna get more fear avoidant of movements which is even worse because that's going to make you even more stiffer um, or stiffer, but more stiffer. I wasn't a English major, <laughs> clearly. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, we just try to move through those ranges of motion like we alluded to earlier in a safe, you know, pain-free range. And there's thresholds to our pain. So we have like that zero to 10, you know, numeric pain rating scale that we harped on in PT school. And you probably heard at the doctor's office as well. You know, we don't want to hover up into that like, you know, four, five, six range, right. you know, that no pain, no gain is not what we're after. It may be uncomfortable, but once we're reaching pain, then we're, we might exceed tissue tolerance and an injury may actually occur. Um, so there's ways that we can kind of, you know, slowly navigate that safely. Yeah, I like that. What I'm hearing from you guys is don't let a little pain um, be an excuse to not move because not moving will um, lead to stiffness and possibly even more pain down the road. Am I saying that right? Yeah, because I mean, you know, the body can basically be like, I'm going to lock up this area and then it has to compensate other places. So, Yeah, for sure. And, and kind of like what, you know, Josh alluded to, um, if individuals are having pain, you know, we want them to move through that pain for your range of motion because when you're moving through that range of motion, you're still getting blood flow to it, you know, delivering nutrients to that mm. muscle mm. and you're kind of unlocking it. It's like a puzzle the, you're unlocking it. Your, your brain muscle connection is like, okay, this is okay. You're showing your brain that, Hey, we can do this. There's not going to be injury to occur. You just got to be smart about it. Move through that pain for your range of motion. If you're doing an exercise and you get to a certain part and you start to feel that increase, all right, there's your range. Move through there. We'll progress through that. And then over time, we'll be able to get back to the exercise that maybe you had pain at with, but now we've located, maybe there's a deficit here. Maybe this muscle's a little bit weaker. Work on that, and then we've unlocked the puzzle. That's super fascinating. Is there any advice you uh, for the people who 
you know, might have a pain, have pain in some area, but still want to go to the gym. Are you saying find that range of motion where there is no pain, work through that, and then progress, uh, progress to full motion eventually, and, and maybe uh, try and find you know weak areas that might be causing the pain in the first place. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you are. Um, last thing I'd want somebody to do is just rest, quit exercising at all. We hear that all the time. Uh, my friend told me not to do this. My other therapist or my doctor told me not to exercise at all. And I heard that recently with one of my evaluations. She said, I went to the uh, doctor and they told me, rest, don't do anything for two weeks. And while, you know, I'm not going to undermine a doctor by any means, the last thing we want to do is that we want to do easy exercises. So if you had a bout of low back pain, you know, something simple is just going for a walk, doing some mobility drills, doing some stretching, some loading in certain ranges of motion until that pain gradually decreases. That's one of the best things you can do instead of just sitting on the couch. Uh, two things I just want to clarify. Um, when you say loading, does that mean um, uh, weight bearing? Is that what loading means? Yeah, weight bearing or, you know, you can have a, a barbell, kettlebell, dumbbell. Any yeah. external load. Yep. Yeah, that, that you're putting your hands on your back. Got it. Like that. Yep, or on a machine. And the other thing you guys have mentioned a couple times is tissue tolerance. What is that exactly? I'm, I, I think I know, but I want to hear what you all say about it. Yeah, so I mean tissue tolerance is basically the whatever muscle group you're training. So whichever you know muscle group you're trying to do with whatever movement. So like a leg extension is kind of kicking the leg out. If you're having some knee issues, then it's the amount of tolerance – hence the name, right, that the, that that quad can handle safely. Because a lot of times if, you know, say somebody were to get on a leg extension machine and put on like 300 pounds, right, then that would exceed the tissue tolerance and you're more likelihood, you know, to be injured or to have some sort of, you know, red light come on. Um, so that's kind of a way that we can work, you know, within that pain-free motion like Zach was talking about, but it goes for the load as well. Um, so, you know, there's ways that we can look at that with um, reps in reserve, meaning mm -hmm. how many reps you have left in the tank. So that's a way that we look at with our programming is because we do a lot of like our home exercise programming is more remote. Yeah. So we, you know, maybe have one or two visits during the week and then they, we have exercises for the patients to work on. Yeah. Well, if we're not physically there, we can't be coaching to be like, don't put that, you know, right. that much weight there. So we operate that way with reps in reserve to be like, okay, I could do three more with that weight. And if that's the that's the sweet spot right there, two to three reps left after your set, oh. then you're probably in a you know tolerable range you know for load. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the hard part because it's hard to know how many you would have left without getting to that point. Yeah, so that's kind of where we come in. We try to you know get to that point before we start doing reps in reserve with our patients. Yeah, I find that super fascinating because I I think in in yoga speak it's called like getting to your edge. Yeah. And like making sure you don't go past mm -hmm. it, but also, you know, kind of making sure you get there. Yep. And what you're saying is, you know, two to three left, you feel like that's kind of a safe point. Your tissue tolerance would be able to handle that weight. Yep. All right, guys, let's get to the to the next myth here. Uh, myth around exercise. Where, where are we at? We're at number four. And we kind of merged, Guys, merged, merged a couple of them together. There's so a I lot like of myths. There's yeah. a lot of myths. There, there are several. Um, one big thing is, is shoe wear. That's kind of what we see a lot of. You yeah. know, you've got hokas that are pretty much like attaching a pillow to your wow. feet, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> they feel great. And then you've got minimalist shoes, which is what I'm wearing, um, that feel like I'm basically barefoot all the time. And I have yeah. like a little bit of rubber, like, you know, separating me from the ground. So it's all about preference with that as, as well. But when it comes to, to these big weight bearing, you know, huge multi-joint movements like the squat like the deadlift you don't necessarily want to be in some of those shoes 
So like the Hoka's that kind of have like a bunch of movement or anything else, Brooks, whatever, um, you know, those are not the best because you're going to have a lot of, you know, added instability to your foot and ankle that can translate all the way up. And that could even make your lower back tighten up because it's your body sensing some instability. So it's like, we just need to tighten up and have your know, nervous system take over. So we typically like try to start people out barefoot. That way they can feel the ground and we teach a tripod foot. So pushing the big toe down, little toe and heel, gripping the ground. So that way you're creating, you know, pressure across your arch and creating a nice stable base because everything starts from the ground up. Um, so we do that. And then if we're limbed in, say, ankle dorsiflexion, so the ability for your toes to come up or your knee travel over your toes, which is what we talked about earlier, if there's a limitation in your ankle joint, then we can work on that or even elevate the heel slightly. Mm -hmm. So if you see some of these Olympic weightlifters that have the kind of basically heels, that are like added to the bottom in the back that kind of, you know, this is your heel, yeah. you, you know, like elevates it, then that's what that's going to do is allow your knee to travel further without that added pain. So I, I didn't realize, I'm picturing weightlifting shoes in my head and they do have that heel. And I didn't realize that is kind of a nat, or not a natural, but a, a shoe version of like a, um, those, what they call an elevation board? Uh, slant board. Slant, slant board. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That makes so much sense with, with squats. So you guys, do you guys use those types of weightlifting shoes when you're lifting or just straight flat? Unfortunately, grad school left us a little bit broke. So I've <laughs> I, I, not got, you know, I've not been able to purchase those yet because they're pretty pricey. And, and yeah. two, it's like, it's, it's such a like niche item that you yeah. can only use for like Olympic weightlifting really. Right. So we have slant boards that we typically use with our patients and with ourselves. Um, but you can even, if you don't have those or have the funds you can just get like a two and a half pound plate or five pound plate put it on your heel you know just kind of be there in that position play around with the the width of, of your squat and kind of go from there is there a safe way um because I've, I've done a little bit of barefoot training um but it's mainly been like walking and every once in a while running and it really hurt my feet mm -hmm. is there I, I know you guys are talking about in the gym where you're lifting barefoot is there any because most people's feet are weak yes. because yeah. they're in hokas or they're in shoes all day. Mm -hmm. How do uh, how do you go about? Like, how would you progress to to having strong feet? Uh, does that make any sense? What I'm, what I'm saying? It does. I mean, kind of goes back to the graded exposure. So you've got so many layers of muscle in in the bottom of your foot. So intrinsic muscles do different exercises with that. Uh, put a bunch of marbles down on the floor, pick them up, uh, towel crunches, different things like that to help strengthen that. And then just oh. great exposure with your walking, whether that be on a treadmill outside. Um, it might be more comfortable to walk on the grass barefoot first where you've got a little bit more softer area. And then, you know, if you, if you want to walk barefoot on the sidewalk or asphalt, sure, go for it. <laughs> but, uh, those are some big things that you can do with that. Um, you know, the foot is no different than any other muscle or joint in the body. You know, it has to be strong in mm -hmm. order to, to support itself. I actually think foot, foot strength is underrated. Like I, based on what I I've seen in my own life, like, uh, I feel like a lot of my injuries can be traced back to weak feet, which oh, is yeah. interesting. Well, and then just the shape of shoes traditionally, like I used to wear Vans and still do the Vans slip on shoes. Cause I'm lazy yeah. and don't want to tie my shoes. Um, and like, they just, you know, jam your feet. You know, that's where we can look at like bunions or something like that. But if, you know, as we age, we're going to lose our you know proprioception, which is the ability for the body to feel the ground and move body in space. 
So that's going to be higher risk of falls. So something mm. that we look at with the barefoot training in our, in our older adult population that we work with, we're obviously going to be weightlifting, but even just, you know, doing some sort of not necessarily loading pattern, but we can look at duration in barefoot, you know, training. So like, like Zach was talking about, if we're walking, not look at reps or weight, like we typically use in the gym, but time and duration, you know, so if we do like kind of what you think about if you were having like a boot and you, you know, injured your ankle, we want to do like a weaning schedule. Mm -hmm. So kind of be this many hours out of the boot. Cause if you try oh. to do it all at one time, like I have with these shoes at the nursing home, I don't practice what I preach evidently, <laughs> then my feet are going to be killing me because I don't realize how much heel strike I have or like I overstride or whatever. Um, you're going to feel things that you've not felt barefoot training because of the shoes that you wear. And there's nothing wrong with, with the Hoka's or anything like that. I don't want everybody to know that. We're not bashing those. They have their place. Um, but I think there should be a lot more people that are either barefoot training or in minimalist shoes for more hours out of the day. I, I like that. And it's almost, you can almost gamify it in a yes. little bit, you know, make it okay for, you know, one hour today, I'm going to walk around the house barefoot. Yep. It was just odd. Like I don't do that at all. Like my, my, my barefoot duration time is, uh, minimal. It's low. <laughs> Same. All right. Let's get to the, 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 the fifth and last myth of today's episode. Uh, where are we at? We got a fifth one. Yeah, I think this one kind of goes outside of the um, the weight room, but I think just because you have a pain does not mean you have to have an imaging. Um, there's so much research that you see that, you know, even people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, if you were taking an MRI of their, mm. their back, they're probably going to have a bulging disc. It's just not symptomatic at the time. Um, so I have to debunk that myth, especially at an assisted living facility or with my older clients every single day that if they get the least little bit of pain, they feel like they have to go spend $2,000 to get an MRI. It's like, well, let's not do that. Yeah. Let's calm it down, build up strength and progress from there. Over time, if, if we're not making uh, much progress, then we'll refer out and get an image and just, and just see what's going on. But I do not feel like that needs to be the first line of defense is go get imaging try therapy, try strength training first, and then we'll go from there. That's really fascinating because I know, especially, you know, as we get older, we, um, we're more prone to injury. I, I, I'm, I guess, I'm guessing just because of lifestyle stuff. Um, you know, and we get worried if we, you know, if we uh, felt something twinge or something like that. And the immediate thing we want to do is like, Oh, I need to, I need to see what I did. Uh, you would think that that'd be like a protective measure, but what you're saying is that's not the first thing we do. The first thing we do is, you know, get checked out, uh, maybe start some therapy to continue strength training, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Now there are some situations where yeah. you want to go get imaging or go straight to it. You know, we would take somebody through an eval. If we saw some red flags that were very serious and we refer out immediately. But if we go through a screen, no red flags, no serious injuries, work them out, calm down the area, and then we just progress the strength, progress their tolerance, and then eventually get them back to the activity or, or the weightlifting uh, or weight lift that they would like to do. That's super fascinating. Man, well, we've debunked five myths today around strength and exercise. Um, guys, I really appreciate y'all stopping by the show and, and helping us because I, like, three to five, three to four of these, I was like, 
man, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I wasn't sure about how I felt about them because you, you know what you read and what you've been brought up on, mm-hmm. especially in athletics as a kid. So I appreciate you guys stopping yeah. in. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank uh, you. Real quick, TriStar Strength and Rehab, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. You guys are putting out some really cool videos on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, give them your handle. Let us know where people can find more of you guys. Yeah, on Instagram, it is TriStar Strength X Rehab. And then we're also on Facebook as well. Um, we're trying to put out some some good content, but some funny stuff too. So we try to be entertaining as possible. As you can tell, we're pretty laid back. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're definitely you know trying to to be more consistent with our posts and and get out there a little bit more. So we're also doing half off evals right now. Nice. Um, so if anybody's interested or having general aches and pains, definitely give us a holler. Nice, nice. Zach Jackson, Josh Davis. I did not mess it up. <laughs> TriStar Strength and Rehab guys, check them out. Thank you all so much for hanging out with with us uh, for the five, four to five myths around exercise uh, in this episode. Um, as always, we'll see y'all next time. It don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.